And uh, when he stood up to sing, he, he, he sang that beautiful hymn that most of us know, No One Ever Cared For Me <laughs> Like Jesus. And he told the story, and that's the one I couldn't shake last night. Um, it was a man who was on death row in the federal penitentiary there in Pennsylvania. And while going through the appeals and the process, a group of uh, Christian businessmen, including Eddie, uh, got permission, began ministering to this man. And um, after a period of time, he came to trust Christ as Savior. And then he was strongly discipled in the Word of God. And uh, his life was transformed. And everyone around witnessed the change. The guards, the staff, the other inmates. And word spread around the town as well. And a petition was signed by many in the community asking the governor at the time to grant a pardon. And the governor concluded the man had committed the, the capital crime beyond any shadow of a doubt. He was guilty and he needed to be executed. And so the day came for the execution. It's a, it's a very grim sight, as you might understand. When they come for you, two guards will come and they'll lead you to the execution chamber. Then they strap your arms and your legs down on the gurney. And then before placing the hood over your head and pulling the switch, they ask if you have any last words you want to say. And so here's what the condemned man said, his very last words before he was executed. He said, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. And the hood was placed over, the switch was pulled, and he was absent from the body and present with the Lord. Two guards, they say, walked away weeping. And one was heard to say to the other, why didn't someone tell this man about Jesus Christ before he committed this crime? This condemned man was a recipient of the mercy of God. And that's where we're going to focus this morning on the magnificence of mercy. We tend to equate mercy with God's forgiveness of our sin, and well, we should. But it goes much further and much deeper than that. Let's look at the characteristics of mercy, and I've got four of them I want to share with you so that we get a correct perspective of what the mercy of God is all about. When we speak of the mercy of God, I think in a summary statement we could say it's the goodness or the love of God shown to those who are in misery or distress irrespective of what they deserve. Mercy always goes to those who are in distress or in misery. Irrespective, God shows his mercy even when they, we don't deserve it. First thing we note up there is that it is eternal. 
And Psalm 103 is a great psalm for you to meditate on sometime. It says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And this answers the question, well, when did mercy begin? Well, it began in eternity past. It's part of who God is. It's an attribute of God. If you talk to the average person on the street, not as familiar with the scriptures as maybe some of you are, they often refer to the Old Testament God as a God of wrath and justice who executes his judgment on the guilty. While in the New Testament, it emphasizes the God of mercy and love and grace. That's not true. Mercy is used four times more in the Old Testament than you find in the New Testament. So it's not that he's just a God of mercy since Calvary. He is a God of mercy from everlasting to everlasting. So there's in principle no difference between the old and the new. In fact, the Old Testament has, as I said, four times more references. Whether it's the Garden of Eden or whether it's the Garden of Gethsemane, God's mercy is always being poured out. Secondly, it's plenteous. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. So here we see in addition to the fact that it's eternal, it's also abundant and plenteous. And we never fear that God's mercy will be depleted. It'll never run out. There will never be more mercy yesterday than tomorrow or today. It is infinite. It will never be less because infinite cannot suffer any loss whatsoever. Charles Spurgeon wrote these good words. All the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. Saints, that's the woe, those of us who know the Lord. We live by his saving mercy and are preserved by his upholding mercy. We're cheered by his consoling mercy. We enter through heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy. I like that. Six kinds of mercy in just one sense. Oh, that I could speak with the simplicity of a Charles Spurgeon. Able to say so much in just so few words. It is also universal. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Jesus said, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is so merciful. If you're here this morning and you've never embraced his son as your personal savior, God has been showing mercy to you even when you don't know it. God's mercy allows you to be here today. God's mercy allows you to hear the songs and hear the word of God. God's mercy allows you to hear that he loves you and Christ died for you. God's mercy has withheld from you what you and I deserve how Great is the mercy of God. The unsaved man can go to the beach like you and he can enjoy the ocean. You can go to the Rocky Mountains and enjoy the beautiful view or Niagara Falls. 
But the difference is he doesn't see the glory of God in it all. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. And that's how different Christians are. When they see it, we go beyond the ocean and the mountains, don't we? And we go to the person of our Creator, the Father of mercy from everlasting to everlasting. Fourthly, it is limited. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. What a state to be in, dead spiritually. Every one of us was born into that state. Every person here, every son and daughter of Adam and Eve were born spiritually dead. And the only thing that a dead man needs is not trimmed up, not fixed up. He needs life. And the spiritually dead man must be born again. That's what Jesus said. You were dead and trapped, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. His mercy, his love, his grace extends to everybody in the world. But only the mercy invited brings the benefits of redemption and forgiveness of sins in eternal life. And so it's limited in that the saving mercy of God is never applied to the unregenerate man who rejects Christ as Savior. So many people are going through life, your friends and mine, viewing God as this God of mercy, grace, and love, while completely divorcing that from the fact that he's a God of holiness, justice, and wrath. And they believe you're okay, I'm okay, and when we all die, no, everything's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. And we weep for the lost. The lost. What an awful word. Lost forever. Because they did not appropriate the mercy of God in Christ. Let's look at some comparisons of mercy. And I've got four here quickly. Forgiveness, first of all. Paul wrote, he saved us not because of works done by us, In righteousness, we didn't do anything. We can't attain his righteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's the word for being born again, used twice in the New Testament. New life. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that's God's mercy that continues to renew us. So mercy especially has to do with our sinful state, which is caused alienation from God. It's God's mercy that saved us, and mercy is behind forgiveness, but it is infinitely bigger than forgiveness. Perhaps the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful passages for mercy, one of your favorites and mine, and one upon which one of our great hymns and favorite hymns is based is Lamentations 3. The steadfast of Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So glad. I'm so glad we will not exhaust his mercies today. Because I need them tomorrow morning. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I had a lot to say on that. I ran out of space. <laughs> and next week, we come to the faithfulness of God as the attribute. And I can't wait to get back to this text. Great is thy faithfulness. Tim Keller wrote these words, mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit, then it isn't mercy. But forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. Salvation is free, but it costs God his son. It costs God his son. Compare mercy not only with forgiveness, but with love. In Ephesians 2, 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So mercy is bigger than forgiveness, but love is bigger than mercy. Because love can do a lot more things than what mercy can do. Mercy presupposes a problem, a distress. Whereas love can act where there is no problem. Think of the father and the son. The father loves the son, but the son doesn't need mercy. But the father loves the son. And we can see that mercy without love, and you can see how God's mercy funnels down to our need through his love. Mercy is seeing a man without food and buying him a hamburger. Seeing a person begging for love and wrapping your arms around him. And seeing someone lonely, inviting them in for a cup of coffee. Mercy is meeting the need, not just feeling it. I want to give a shout out to those of you who are nurses. Talk about mercy. I don't think you could survive without mercy and giving mercy. Any of us who have ever been sick or gone through an operation, thank God for a merciful nurse. When they put their hand on your knee or on your shoulder and say, it's going to be okay, that does something to you. And when they minister to you, what a great spiritual gift mercy is too. Third one is grace, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. When God manifests his mercy, it always presupposes a problem. And it deals with the pain and the distress at that time. But grace deals with the sin itself. I like to think of it this way, and it helps me understand the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy... In mercy, God withholds from us what I deserve. In grace, God gives me what I don't deserve. Do you get it? Mercy, he's holding back. For 21 years, God in his mercy withheld the wrath upon me that I deserved. Lost, rejecter of Christ. God's mercy... When I spurned his name, he held back that wrath. My life and your life could have been stuffed out like that, gone to an eternal hell. And then one day God's grace came in and he gave me what we didn't deserve. He gave us forgiveness, eternal life. 
He gave us Christ. Max Lucado wrote, The difference between mercy and grace. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. How true. Fourth word is justice. Romans 3, 24 to 26, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Don't let the word scare you. It means satisfaction. God was propitiated through the sacrifice of his son. God was satisfied with the death of his son. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins, withholding judgment, showing his mercy. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. There's the key. There's the problem. There's the dilemma. There's the solution. How can God who is just and holy and cannot tolerate one sin in his presence, how in the world can God remain just and holy while allowing the sinful sinner to come into his presence for eternity. How can he be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus? How does justice relate to mercy? Can God look at the guilty sinner and say, I know you're a sinner. I know you've done awful things. But I am so filled with mercy that I'm going to forgive you. He certainly can. He certainly does. Why? Because God himself sent his son to come into the world and die on that Roman cross as our substitute, our sin bearer. Christ bore our sins in his own body on that tree. And God raised him from the dead. Love that song this morning. Just wanted to almost jump him down. But you wouldn't think much of this Presbyterian doing that, would you? <laughs> God cannot be merciful to you without justice. And if justice weren't served, it would violate his character. But justice was served. When that one cried out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Imputation of sin, all of sin in Christ's body. And to the believing sinner, imputation of Christ's righteousness given to us. I'm told it's a true story. I've read it several times with several different books about the mother who visited Napoleon on behalf of her son who was committed of two crimes and he was sentenced to death. Napoleon reminded the lady, the mother of the son, that justice demanded the death penalty. The mother cried out and said, but sir, I do not beg for justice. I beg for mercy. Napoleon quickly said he doesn't deserve it. To which the mother replied, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Napoleon thought and he said, you're right. And he pardoned the woman's son. The gospel is good news of mercy to the undeserving. John Stott once wrote, the symbol of the religion of Jesus is the cross, not the scales of justice. It's the cross. Mercy is special. 
It's more than forgiveness. It's less than love. It's different than grace. It's one with justice. That's the way you see mercy in its various associations. Let's close the message with the consolation of mercy. Psalm 103, again, I direct you to. First to the fallen. Listen to the words of the psalmist. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Who are the oppressed? If you read that throughout the Old Testament, it's normally used, always used of people who cannot help themselves. It's most often used of the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, the poor, and the fallen. God keeps his eyes on the helpless. And when others hurt the helpless, God help them. Blessed are the merciful, for when they show mercy, what? They'll receive mercy. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., the arm of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. There's a lot of injustice in the world today. The younger generation especially cries for mercy and justice and fairness and equity. But this truth stands like a solid rock for the believer because if all of history is a book, we haven't reached the final chapter yet. We're somewhere near the end, I do think, but I don't know that. But we're not sure how far away we are, but we know this much. Eventually, God will bring everything to light and he will judge with impartiality. All those who labor for a better world of justice and a more just society have to believe this or you don't go on. Listen to the words written years ago by James Russell Lowe. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown. Standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. He wrote that in 1844, and the crisis of the time was slavery. And the idea is that crisis moments occur across history, and it's important to choose the side of truth. And although truth may seem to be losing, God is in control. Truth and mercy will ultimately win. We're all fallen. We're all fallen. We all need mercy. Have you availed yourself personally of the mercy of God? Have you appropriated that mercy for your offenses against the holy and righteous God? To the fallen and then to the frustrated. Just verses come to my mind, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Are you frustrated with life? Frustrated with anything? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Frustrated. None of us have everything we need within ourselves. We have disabilities, mental, emotional, and physical. I get frustrated with myself. I tell you to live up to God's standards. I can't even live up to my own. Frustrated sometimes with our children who aren't walking in the truth. Frustrated with our grandchildren. Frustrated with the boss. 
Those are the times I'm reminded to depend on God and his mercy. And when I cry out for God's mercy, he makes the impossible possible. But sometimes God doesn't remove the problem. Right? But he gives supernatural power to handle it by his mercy. We all know the name of Job in the Old Testament 4,000 years ago. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in the New Testament. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, though they were frustrated. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In all his afflictions that Job experienced, God's aim was mercy. To live through the loss of all that he suffered. And every time he suffered loss and was frustrated, he would not do as his friends said to curse God and die. And all the afflictions, and all your afflictions, and all your hurts, and all your suffering, God's aim is always mercy. Sum it up with Susan Shelley. What she did when her son was born at 8.20 p.m. November 22nd, 1991. That was Thanksgiving Eve that year, the night before Thanksgiving. 8.20 he was born and he died at 8.22 p.m. Two minutes later. <clears throat> so the nurse asked, do you have a name for the baby? Susan said, I do. We do. His name is Toby. It's short for a biblical name, Tobiah, which means God is good. And when her husband Marshall told the story sometime later at a Wheaton College alumni meeting in Illinois, he summed up his talk with these words, Life is hard and God is good. Doggone right. It's hard. Don't let anyone tell you different. Life is hard. But God is good. That's mercy. We need our eyes, our spiritual eyes, brothers and sisters, open every day, throughout the day and evening, to the mercies of God. God is faithful, and we'll talk more about that next week, Lord willing. We have a family here going through a very heavy time. Most of you know. Many of you are going through heavy times. But when I talked to Christy, I wanted to minister. And you know, it's one of those... You, when you want to minister to someone, but you leave... Saying, I don't, not sure I ministered to them, but they sure ministered to me. You know? I said, what's the one prayer request? You're going on the daily prayer list, the family. She said, just pray that I remember, we remember the mercies of God every day and not miss one of them. And I thought about that a lot since then. I pray for it every day. But I thought, what a steadfast, 
spiritual, godly person only could respond like that. Pray I don't miss the mercies of God so that he's glorified. Lastly, to the fading. To the fallen, to the frustrated, we all need grace to the fading. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we all fade like a leaf. Brother, as we get older, don't we know that? Whoa, I'm fading fast. Whoa. Sickness, disease, and death, ultimately, all universal, inevitable, and unpredictable. So fearful to those who don't know the God of mercy, and well it should be. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The only way we're getting to heaven is by the mercy of God. The only way we're going to live the Christian life is by the mercy of God. The only way we're going to handle all the things of life uh, brings to us is by the mercy of God. And God delights when his people fall upon his mercy. So what's my word to you? It's the story we all know at the parable. The Pharisee, the publican into the temple. Pharisee looks to God and says, you got a good thing when you got me. I tithe. I do this. I do that. Man, you got somebody when you got me. And the publican couldn't even look up. And he smote his breast. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Literally, that word is from the same word of propitiation. God be propitiated toward me, a sinner. Jesus left and he says, I tell you, this man went away justified rather than the other. All the evil, all the wrong, just like that man put on the gurney, strapped down, hood on the head, switch pulled, Just like that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So God's mercies are new every morning because he's so faithful. I hope you'll be back next week for the faithfulness of God. But I hope this morning you will respond to his call to his merciful side. Would you bow with me in prayer, please?